I wanted to do an advert for Anchor. This is the app that I'm actually using to do every episode of Analogy of the Sun. It's super freaking easy. Uh, it's also free. So couldn't get any better than that. If I can use this and I'm able to like put stuff on Spotify and all that, then you definitely can. If you've ever thought of just having a podcast for fun, like what I'm doing, then I would definitely suggest that you download Anchor now and they actually will upload it to Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and things of that nature or those type of apps for you. Again, it's completely free. There's no minimum listenership that you have to have. Everything you need in one place to make a podcast. It is amazing. So if you've ever thought about having a podcast at all, just for fun, or possibly to add to your work or your business, then please go ahead and download Anchor today. Thank you for listening again today, if you have, or at all, to the Analogy of the Sun podcast. I really, truly, and deeply appreciate it. Um, This is kind of a labor of love for me because I really hope to help as many people as I can with this podcast in so many ways. This episode today, uh, real quick, this is the second one. The first one was like a post-it. I call them post-it episodes because they're super quick. Just an idea I have in my head and I want to get it out. This one might be a little bit longer. It's about David Bowie. Um, I personally have loved David Bowie since I was very, 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 very young. I'm 37 now, about to be 38 in June. And Labyrinth, of course, was like my first introduction. And that came out around 86. So I was three, but I don't think I actually saw it. I don't remember actually seeing it when I was that old, obviously. But that was my first introduction to David Bowie. And for that to be your first introduction, that's like a big deal, right? Because he was Jareth. He was really the bad guy, but kind of the bad guy that you rooted for. And like I said, if you listen to my Tim Curry in Legend, the movie Legend, they both kind of mess with my brain and kind of, you know, kind of mess with the wiring (laughs) that if you're a bad guy, I'm like in love with you at a very young age. (laughs) So I blame them. Uh, it's something about just David Bowie's presence and that accent and the makeup and the hair and, um, all of that. So that was my first introduction to him. And I really didn't get into him as an artist artist until of course a little bit later because my my family didn't really listen to to him other than you know you know like let's dance and stuff definitely for sure because uh see Ray Vaughn had played a part in let's dance he actually played the guitar part the solo um and my father was a see Ray Vaughn fan at the time so I remember hearing let's dance and young Americans Especially because, you know, 16 Candles was like one of my favorite movies as well. And so that that song was actually in that movie. So I know that now looking back, but I really didn't start like diving into who David Bowie was until I was close to being a teenager. Uh, So I'd probably say about 13, it's over 13 and probably 13. And I really started to deep dive into 
who he was and what he was and just the awesomeness and the brilliance that is David Bowie. So my first deep dive, like everybody is, uh, Ziggy Stardust, because that's where you start, right? And then you go into Halloween Jack, and you go into the Thin White Duke, which I love the Thin White Duke. I love Ziggy, and I love Halloween Jack, but I love the Thin White Duke. And, of course, when you get, when I got a little bit older, I realized why he was so thin, because his diet consisted of cocaine, milk, and peppers, which is, just sounds like a horrible combination that would eat my stomach up. But it's really, you know, the older you get, the older I got, the more I got into everything. So the, one of the first albums I ever bought, and well, it was a CD at the time, was Heathen. And I had bought, you know, more after that or more before. And so I really, I bought most of, a lot of his albums, even the ones that people weren't very good on. Like outside, I loved. And I think another reason I also became so enamored with him when I was like 13, 14 is because I loved Nine Inch Nails. And again, this was over 20 years ago. So they actually were doing the, they were touring with David Bowie at the time because he was doing outside which was, you know, produced partially by Brian Eno, who is, if you don't know who Brian Eno is, he's brilliant. Very, he's such a brilliant producer. Also has amazing music as well. It's always the argument of who's the best Brian, right? Brian Eno or Brian Ferry. I actually had discussed Brian Ferry on the last uh Tim Curry episode talking about Legend because Brian Ferry actually did a song on the soundtrack for Legend. It's kind of funny how that stuff kind of gets tied together. But I had, you know, when I became a teenager, I just was obsessed with him. I was obsessed with his look and his persona because I was a very weird child, weird teenager. I was a weird child period, but weird teenager. Everything that I liked was very obscure and eclectic and strange and weird because I I just thought all that stuff was just so much more interesting and more beautiful and it was just eye grabbing you know those type of um those type of people and at the time I was also getting into you know Nine Channels Meryl Manson whether you whatever's going on with Meryl Manson right now and you can put that aside um because I'm all for him getting any you know all of his victims getting justice, but just put that aside right now. I'm not talking about that, but I was really interested in those type of things because it just seems so beautiful to me. They all just seem so beautiful and interesting and the quote unquote normie, you know, type of life normal is so bland and black and white. It just seems so weird and gross you know so to me being 13 14 years old that stuff is just so eye-catching and just shocking and I want to be part of all of it you know so I started getting into not just that but just writers and you know beatniks and Sylvia Plath and you know Jack Kerouac and you know I started reading you know Brett Easton Ellis American Psycho like all that stuff American Psycho Anything that was looked at as 
weird or bad from say the football team or the cheerleaders in my school, I was like, oh, then I'm definitely gonna go towards that. Um, and then I was also at a time where I was, you know, I dealt with a lot of feeling alone, which I think that made my depression at the time so much worse. I felt so alone in that, in that atmosphere. And cause I was so different. I didn't want to be a cheerleader. I didn't want to date the football player. I didn't want to wear those clothes they were wearing. Like I didn't want to look like that. I wanted to like have purple hair and have tattoos and piercings and wear white contacts, which actually I did wear in high school, which of course gave me, I got a lot of grief for that, even though I was in the school newspaper because at the time, my best friend at the time was in the journalism class. So I actually got into the high school newspaper because of the white contacts I wore to school. So yeah, you could say I was the weird one, but I liked it. I did feel alone a lot of the time. I think that did, like I said, contribute to my depression quite a bit. Because I knew either way it wouldn't have mattered really. Because I wanted to be who I wanted to be. And that contributed because I felt alone in some ways. I had a very small, tight-knit group of friends, which was great. But if I would have pretended to be someone else, like a lot of them were. Let's, I mean, let's be honest. A lot of them don't want to be that way. They don't want to have to get straight A's. They don't want to be the cheerleader. They don't want to be in the drill team. They don't want to be dating this person. They don't want to be acting like this. But they have to because of the expectations that their parents have. And I didn't want to do that either. I wanted to be who I wanted to be. And if it meant that I was ostracized and called a whore, which I was, then that's what it was. Even though I wasn't a whore. (laughs) I wasn't sleeping with their boyfriends. I wasn't doing any of that. But, you know, I was still called that. It was a weird one, you know. So, Bowie and Marilyn Manson and all of them really helped me not feel so weird. You know, I felt, I felt a little bit better knowing that they were around and within the world, you know, making art still at the time and in the fabric of the world and helping people like me feel a little less alone. So, I looked up to Bowie for so long and um, my boys know about him they know the songs I've force fed it to them for so long we've actually um, went to go see Labyrinth a couple years back with my mom and the boys and it was a participation movie so you get these little um, trinkets and stuff so you get to make noise at certain parts and you get to blow bubbles at certain parts you know and it was amazing, and the boys liked it, and I loved it. And it's so great to be able to sing the songs in the theater and not be looked at and, like, shushed because everyone else is singing, too. So Bowie was, like, a saving grace for me for a long time, and I always called him my fairy godfather because, yeah, he was, he kind of, like, crossed some wires in my brain when I was younger about what was attractive and what wasn't. But that really, when I got older... I wasn't into Bowie because he was attractive. I mean, yes, he's a very attractive man. He's very, he was very dapper, very charming. And I wish he would have kept his teeth alone. <laughs> he got those caps. I'm like, it was okay for you to have crooked teeth. You're British. It's cool. Plus, I just think crooked teeth have more character anyways. Everyone's getting braces now. And I think crooked teeth are kind of cool at times. If they're really bad, I get it. But sometimes it just gives you a little bit more character. But, so I really 
when I got older, I was like 14. I'm like, I didn't find, I mean, yes, he's attractive, but I did not find him like a sex symbol. It was not, he was not that for me. He was just an amazing artist that I looked up to and I was always ready for new music. And then he just stopped producing music after a while because, you know, after reality, he, or during the tour, he had ended up having a heart attack and he had just had his daughter, um, not long before that and so I understand why he would want to stop and I never got a chance to see him live and that's something that really fucking sucks I always wanted to see him live and I never got to and it was on my bucket list for so long (laughs) he just never came into town so I didn't really get that chance so he never really produced anything and then all of a sudden all of a sudden this new album you know the next next day comes out this was several years ago and I bought it right away I went and bought it I never bought CDs at the time but I bought it because I wanted to contribute like I wanted him to understand that we've been waiting for you to come back you know and um, not long after that album coming out my my dad at the time my my stepdad but my dad because he helped raise me I uh, was diagnosed with dementia and his decline how it happened pretty quickly. Um, and it wasn't easy and it wasn't easy on me. It wasn't easy on my mom. Uh, and I was, I, had, I look back at that time and I really regret a lot of things that I did because I didn't take part in, uh, especially when he went to a memory care center full time. I didn't, I didn't go see him as often as I should have because it's difficult. Um, when someone you love doesn't remember you, you know, it's very hard and they think you're somebody else or talking about someone in their life that you don't remember, but it's probably someone from way, you know, decades and decades and decades ago. And it was hard. And so I, I didn't go to see him as often as I should have. And he ended up passing away, uh, September, 2015, I believe. And, um, Bowie died in January of that coming year. Um, And I was already pretty raw from losing my dad, you know, uh, for a lot of reasons. And we were doing this, you know, home remodel. I mean, we were literally gutting our house and remodeling it. So I had to stay with my mom uh, for a time for spell around the, around that time really and uh so and that was that's hard you know as a married couple remodeling your home is hard but when you you're living in it, it's hard and then when you have to leave it's even harder especially when you have to stay with an in-law or a parent and you have two children as well and I remember my husband had come home late and uh, I believe it was Sunday but technically like Monday morning or something or maybe it was Tuesday I can't remember and um, he comes in, and I'm like, okay, babe, can we just lay down and let's go to sleep, you know, because I come back to bed or go, he's getting changed into night clothes or whatever. I said, all right, come lay down because I just want to go back to sleep. And he was just taking way too long. He was brushing his teeth, and I'm just like, Jesus, dude, like, come on. I want to go back to sleep. You're waking me up at, like, 2 o'clock in the morning. Um, And I was looking at my phone because I'm just sitting there, you know, and... Uh, popped up on my phone that he had passed away 
And I just start bawling, laying in bed. And Jared's like, what the fuck? What's going on? Like, what's going on? Like, David Bowie died. He's like, what? I go, yeah. He wasn't even sick. I go, apparently he was. But he didn't really tell that many people. Um, which a lot of people don't, you know. So it was hard. And of course, just like with Anthony Bourdain, I got a lot, a lot of texts that morning. Like, um, are you okay? Are you okay? Are you going to take a day off? Um, I was really close, actually, honestly, to that. That was the day. Anthony Bourdain was hard, but that was not the day I was going to think about taking on David Bowie, for sure. Because it was right after, you know, my dad. It wasn't right after, but it was very close to after my dad had passed away. Um, and then come to find out, not several weeks later, my grandmother would have died, would die. And then I would have to take bereavement and go to her funeral. Um, so yeah, it was a hard, it was a hard couple months, you know? And I know a lot of people don't understand how it feels when someone you look up to like that dies. They just don't get it. And my husband's one of those. And even my mom. They're like, you don't really know them. Like, I understand that you've looked up to them your whole life. I'm like, that's the thing is I've looked up to them my whole life. And I've, I know every word of, you know, majority of their catalog. And I love their artwork. And, you know, it's a part of my childhood, a part of my adolescence, a part of my teenage years, a part of me as of my adulthood. So when someone's with you for decades and decades, it really, they hold a place in your heart whether you want them to or not. And just that feeling of losing my dad and then losing him, I think it just would made it even worse. And it was kind of weird also that him and Amon were married around the same time that my mom and my dad were. And, you know, so I see her posts, you know, talking about their anniversary and, you know, so I know how hard it is for them and so it's very similar to the situation that I had just gone through and that my mother had just gone through um as losing a parent and losing a spouse so it he really like touched me a lot in my life and I I think I thank him for that um I think he understands or he understood that how many people he had touched and that's probably why he didn't want to say anything of why he you know and plus I think he probably thought he was going to serve you know he was going to beat it this time. You know, he was going to beat cancer and he just ended up not doing so. So the Lazarus album, when that came out, um, cause it came out like right before he died. I still have not listened to that whole album and I can't bring myself to listen to it. I can barely listen to, you know, the Lazarus song. I can barely, cause it just, it, it's too much for me after losing my dad. It's just, I can't, I can't listen to it. I watched the video like two minutes and I'm Balling. I'm like balling my ass off. I just can't. Um, so, you know, I've made sure that his, at least within my family, his memory keeps going with my boys. And um, my husband likes a few of his songs and we've listened to him a lot. And, you know, I'm just hoping that they'll keep that going too with their kids and make them watch Labyrinth as well. But there is, I wanted to play a little bit of um, Life on Mars is an amazing song that he wrote. It kind of touches a lot of people, especially when you don't feel like you are part of the normies out there walking around. Because um, it does make you realize that there are people out there that don't feel like they were born of this world, you know? And I can always feel like I, I never really felt like everyone else. But there's a version of this album of this song, and I'm not gonna play the whole song because I don't think I have the rights to that. But it's an it's kind of like a it's just him and the piano, 
And Mike, who plays the piano, used to play the piano for him. It's probably the best version of this song I've ever heard. And I just want to play a snippet of it for you guys as I go out on this episode. Selling show is the life on 